Hello and welcome to the Forthos cast. I'm Jay Anelli, and if I was a Commander 2019 deck, I'd be flashback, because I'm pretty fly for a Jess guy. I'm Lorelai Weissel, and if I was a Commander 2019 deck, I'd be the morph deck led by Kadena, Slinking Sorcerer, because I too am a sneaky bitch. I'm Brian Dobbs, and if I were a Commander deck, I'd be Gered, Conclave Exile, and I'd be summoning my dog Calvin, who you can probably hear chewing on his bone in his kennel for the first time in a while. Calvin's a good dog. He's a good boy. Super good boy. I'm Ashley Barrow, and if I was a Commander 2019 deck, I would be Madness because of obvious reasons. <laughs> oh, yes. You are You are definitely on G Falcon Wrath. All right. So this week, in case you couldn't tell from our cold open, we got our first previews for Commander 2019. We will talk about those more in future weeks in our Flavor Gem episode. Uh, but for now, we just wanted to point out that the night we're recording this, they revealed that Gerard will be having a new card in this set, which is very exciting. It's beautiful, gorgeous art by Zach Stella that we will talk about more later. So our Flavor Gems episode will probably be in two weeks. Uh, we're, we're back to Gathering Storm next week, so uh, it, it'll be a little bit to talk about the cards, but um, there's going to be a lot to talk about, folks, so it's very exciting. Um, and as long as we're talking about preview cards, don't forget that this Wednesday, August 7th is our Commander 2019 preview episode. So that'll go up sometime in the morning, Eastern time. Uh, so get excited. Our, our card is very neat. I'm very, yeah, it's going to be fun. If you are listening to this because you've seen the Gerard card or perhaps other things that might be happening, enjoy. This is part three of our coverage of the Weatherlight Saga. If you look back at our previous episodes, episodes 74 and 75, that's where we cover the artifact cycle and the first half of the Weatherlight Saga proper, Wrath and Storm, uh, Mercadian Masks, and finally Nemesis. Today, we're going to start with Prophecy. So, Prophecy is the third set in the Mercadian Masks block. That's perhaps the nicest thing anyone can say about it. It was not a well-received set uh, creatively or play-wise. It's the Spell Shaper set. Hey, there's $10 commons in that set. Really? Rustic Study. Oh! It had one good card, y'all. It is, it is often regarded as one of the worst design sets of all time, and it has, as you're about to hear, one of the most bafflingly meaningless parts to the whole Weatherlight saga. It doesn't make any sense. I don't know why this story was being told here. It has nothing to do with anything. Almost. So this story catches us up on what's been happening on Dominaria since the Weatherlight left and disappeared to Wrath uh, at the beginning of this whole cycle. The Keldons, that is the, the culture of these big hulking barbarian people that live in the nor in northern Arona have decided they're going to invade Jamura, which is kind of Dominaria's Africa analog. So the Keldons invade Jamura. They have a what's called the Prophecy of Twilight, where they believe when this end of days comes that all of their honored warriors in their necropolis will rise again. And they think the Twilight is imminent. And so they have decided to 
conquer as much as they can before they go. More about that Twilight later. So the war goes very poorly for the Jamorans for a while. Uh, Rain from the Talarian Academy, who is Baron's wife and the mother of Weatherlight crew member Hannah, is involved. Uh, Teferi is involved. Rain ends up getting killed during the war. And then shortly thereafter, Teferi remembers he's a godlike planeswalker and ends the war. Doesn't he, doesn't he do that for the Mirage War too? Yeah, pretty much. The Mirage War is different. We can talk about that another day. I don't but... want to, though. <laughs> it's, it's a decent story. That one he sends, like, visions to people to go fix the problem for him. So that's really all you need to know about prophecy. Let's move on to the invasion cycle. So invasion was when the Phyrexians actually invaded Dominaria. We've been foreshadowing this for like three or four sets at this point. So it's fine. I'm sorry, uh, two or three blocks at this point. And we begin with the Weatherlight arriving and heading to Benalia City. The Benalians are these honorable soldiers. You've seen a lot of new Benalia, which was the society that was rebuilt after the Rift Crisis uh, around the Mending. Uh, but when they get there, they forgot one little thing in that Gerard deserted his post in order to join the rescue mission for Sisse. <laughs> so the Benalians don't look too kindly on Gerard, and he and the crew are imprisoned. Do they just get imprisoned wherever they go? Like, every story starts with them in prison? Yep, pretty much. They're like the worst heroes. That's pretty much the Weatherlight saga. Uh... There's a very cute escape story, though, which I'll talk about in a second. There's also a blind seer who is kind of acting like he's 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 like the the end is nigh person who could use some help that you'll see in some city street corners, uh, except it's actually Urza in disguise, not doing an effective job warning anyone about what's about to come. And just as the crew is imprisoned, the invasion proper begins and the city is overrun as Phyrexian portals begin to disgorge Phyrexians and plagues and all sorts of things all over the plain. Maybe I should go to DragonCon as Urza as a blind seer and be one of those people who says the end is near but say that the Phyrexian invasion is coming. Do it. You should do it. <laughs> Phyrexian that would be something cute to do at like a, at a magic fest just dr cosplay as the blind seer with uh, Phyrexian invasion is, near, is nigh um, so the invasion force in Benalia is led by a Phyrexian named Sabo Tavak uh, Sabo quickly overruns the city because the Benalians are not prepared at all because Urza despite preparing for millennia didn't really bother to warn anyone it was coming right away. It's it's laughable, to be honest. It's it's really bad. She's also a terrifying gal with a mechanical spider body and a bad temper. And she really hates legends on her magic card. Shieldred is kind of like a spiritual successor to Sabo. So in order to escape, the, the crew quickly learns Squee is small enough to fit through the bars and so they're all debating how to escape, and Squee is on the other side of the bars already, and they're like, what? You could escape this whole time? And so he gets them all out. Uh, meanwhile, 
Brian's favorite character, Eladamri, and his companions, Lin Sivi and Takara, all arrive in Lanawar. So Lanawar is just a little ways to the south of Benalia. It's the big forest on the same continent. They have they get kind of a cold welcome from the Lanawar elves. They're in a specific elfheim there. Uh, but then Phyrexia shows up, and rather than invading right away, they just start dumping contagions and toxins and things. Plague bombs. Through, yeah, and bombs through portals, and just start devastating the forest. So Eladamri ends up becoming the hero by rescuing everyone and leading them down into this cavern deep beneath their Elfheim palace. Cavern of Dreams. The The crew gets back to the Weatherlight, and they go on a rescue mission to rescue these uh, Benalian prisoners who are, I mean, they're not really bad guys, but when you're facing Phyrexia, literally everyone is in the fight. So they rescue all these prisoners and load up the load up the crew with all these fighters. And, but in the process, Hannah gets infected by one of the Phyrexian plagues. Orem tries to create an inoculation by using the glistening oil, but it ends up coming too late for Hannah, but she's able to inoculate the rest of the crew from the Phyrexian contagion. The crew meets Eladamri in Lanawar, uh, and they all, this is where you see, like, Heroes Reunion. It's, it's a great, great artwork um, of the two coming back together. And Eladamri joins up with them. And they all head to where the true battle is, as the blind seer, who hopped, uh, hitched a ride aboard the Weatherlight, reveals himself to have been Urza all along, to nobody's surprise. Laughable. He could have played <laughs> them all. I don't understand. He's just, he's even on the ship, he's not helpful at all during all these adventures. So disappointing. He literally could have built a war machine and planeswalked it to wrath and destroyed the stronghold himself. Let's put that in perspective on this whole story. Goodness. So uh, Urza departs to begin collecting his nine titans. He is recruiting planeswalkers with ties to Dominaria, uh, in some cases, in order to battle against Phyrexia. So the first person he goes to recruit is his old student Teferi. Teferi, however, is tired of his mentor's BS. Like, nah, fam. They, they fend off the part of the invasion in Jamura, but Teferi, rather than joining Urza, ends up phasing out Zalfir and Shiv. Zalfir is a country in northwest Jamura, which is where Teferi is from, and Shiv is this volcanic island nation way to the north and east, that uh, Joyra is from. And so the two of them phased out and basically peace out of the whole invasion. A coward's move. They believe it's the only way to save their their homes. The fairy does it unilaterally. He's not a great person. Well, I mean, it's complicated because he felt like he was doing what was best and he felt that the war was pretty much unwinnable. And he also knew that Zalfir would probably take the heavi- heaviest casualties because Phyrexia was going to focus on them because they were the most technologically advanced outside of Teleria. And Urza knew that as well and was using them as bait. Yes. So Urza was basically, Urza's plan was essentially to let Zalfir get destroyed, kind of like Benalia got destroyed, 
to be able to focus all his energies on certain battles in the conflict. And Teferi was having none of that. (laughs) I'm protecting my people from you. So back in Yavamaya, which is on the continent of Teresier, Multani, who we talked about a bit in the Artifacts uh, Cycle episode, he is facing a full-scale Phyrexian invasion, and the forest of Yavamaya is kind of amazing in fighting back. So, yeah, this rent ends up being opened beneath the ground, and this hither for, uh, hither to for, however the hell you say it. Why don't you just <laughs> say a normal word? This never-before-discovered race of creatures called Kavu come erupting out to fight the Phyrexians. In addition, one of the first waves of Phyrexians are converted into, like, these tree folk beings, which you can see in the new Dominaria. Um, they're, They're very cool. The Woodsmen. Woodsmen, yes. They become known as the Phyrexian Woodsmen. They're just very, very cool. So Maltani is fighting his fight over there. Meanwhile, Urza ends up recruiting the ni- his nine titans. Uh, he ends up having to do some last-minute replacements because Teferi had left. Uh, they all universally agree that Parcher, which is a, a joke for Pete Archer, who was, I believe, one of the editors at the time, uh, is entirely too crazy for the nine titans that even Urza wouldn't deal with him. I love it. Parcher is a planeswalker so off his rocker he won't... They don't even want him in an Urza plan. And <laughs> and Urza's plan is going to include Tevish Sat, who is the planeswalker from Sarpedia, whose whole goal during the Ice Age was to freeze the entire world and kill everybody. And still wants to kill everybody. This guy was okay and Parcher wasn't. <laughs> Let that sink in. There's also uh, Taser who is a planeswalker from Rabia. Honestly, the worst of the bunch. He's a terrible ex-boyfriend. I'm not even kidding. He is kind of stalkery. He, not even kind of, he is very stalkery. uh, And we'll get to that in a second. Uh, But he was very possessive of another planeswalker on this list. He ends up getting his head straight by this time. And he has an adoptive daughter, who's also a planeswalker, named Daria who we only see in, like, one piece of artwork ever. Which is more than other characters on this list. Daria, I believe, is in some flavor text, but that's that's pretty much all she had appeared before. We then have Freilis, who plays big roles in previous magic stories. Freilis has her own Planeswalker card. She's like the goddess of elves on Dominaria. Specifically Lanawar. Specifically Lanawar. Uh, but before that, uh, in, in other places uh later sky shroud uh which we'll get to in a second lord Windgrace, who is the panther planeswalker we've talked about extensively before he had his own planeswalker card in the last commander product bolivar who is my favorite of this bunch who's kind of like the dak faden of back in the day he is a smuggler he has no he has godlike power and has no greater ambition than to just be a smuggler and sail his ship uh so he and he loves pulling pranks as well he he like he 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 brings this um cigar full of tnt that he wants to give urza as a practical joke 
<laughs> Commodore Guff, who's this kind of crazy librarian dude who has power over time. Wait, 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 wait. We should save that for later. Which we'll get to, yeah. Uh, and then finally, Christina of the Woods. I stand Christina forever. She's the only reasonable planeswalker in pretty much the entire pre-mending canon. Uh, she's the one who Taser dated for a bit, and then Taser later sent one of Christina's next boyfriends off to some far-off corner of the multiverse because he's a jackass, but Christina's great. Poor Minotaur named Sandrew. So Urza equips each of them with customized Titan engines, which are basically mech suits, Gundams. It's a Gundam! I hate them. Remember, magic is a fantasy IP, but we have, like, robot mech warriors now. They're great. The Titan engines are fine. I, I do want to see card for these one day. Just just once. Like a new card? Yes, like... Because power armor already exists. Well, I mean, it's it's different. Power armor's awful. Like a vehicle? Yes, I want a vehicle that you can only crew with planeswalkers. So Urza's nine titans, along with the combined forces of Dominaria that Urza has been able to pull together, assault the caves of Coilos, where the main gate to Phyrexia is, which they want to shut off because it's the only permanent gate on the plane. All the others are pretty easy to deal with, but if Phyrexia gets a foothold... It's the their largest and most useful beachhead on the plane at this point. So the battle for Coilos occurs. Urza unleashes during this whole invasion the Metathran, which were these genetic super soldiers he created just for this fight. The Metathran are led by Thaddeus and... What's the other guy's name? I thought I had written it down here. It's probably not important. He dies anyway. Thaddeus and Agnate, uh, who are these twin generals. Thaddeus gets captured by Tsabo Tavak for her, for her excellence at uh, Benalia. She's given control of Koilos. Daragaz, who we mentioned before, and the Dragon Nations are fighting in the skies against the Phyrexian Dragon Engines. The Titan Engines are laying waste to the Phyrexian army. And then, during the battle... Baron learns Hannah has died and also learns that Urza kept that information from him. And he returns with Hannah and his wife, who, if you recall, uh, perished during prophecy and essentially just obliterates Talaria along with the Phyrexians that were invading it as a memorial to his lost wife and daughter. No joke. The flavor, the, the art and flavor text for the invasion art for Obliterate is one of my favorite cards in all of Magic. Like, just because you see him casting the spell and it, like, that card always stuck with, stuck with me with especially how it's framed in the book. It's really well-written text and I love it. Yeah, I wish I wish this whole saga didn't have such a problem with, like, fridging female characters, but... Yeah. But uh, it did. That <laughs> it did, but for doing it, it was still pretty well written. Mm. It was a it was a powerful scene. For for reference, the flavor text on the card is for his family, Baron made a funeral pyre of Talaria. So the weatherlight arrives and Gerard and the crew end up leading the charge into Coilos. 
uh, but they realize too late that it's a trap. The Phyrexians have let the bulk of the forces enter the caves and then are beset when the numbers aren't as valuable to them. Uh, and the Phyrexians are able to just keep pumping more and more through the portal, through the portal, so that they have a ne- never-ending stream of soldiers. Karn, who is, if you recall, a pacifist, is forced to make a choice where he is, he has stand, stood back. He's still, I think, on the weatherlight, or he didn't participate in the charge because he's not going to kill anybody, uh, and realizes that unless he takes action, all his friends are going to die. So Karn makes a difficult decision to forgo his pacifism uh, in order to save his friends, and then just, like, wades into the Phyrexian army like the one golem-killing machine he is, and just, like, single-handedly fights his way all the way to Sabo Tavak, where uh, Gerard is also fighting, so together, they're finally able to overpower Tsabo, and Karn just, like, rips apart her mechanical legs, and she goes, she, she escapes, just barely, uh, but the Phyrexian portal is destro- closed and destroyed forever. So that's the end of Invasion. It's an important lesson Karn teaches us, that it's okay and good to punch Nazis, because otherwise they will kill all the people you care about. Pacifism just lets the Frexians win. Exactly. You know, what's what's the point of holding on to his pacifism if everyone he knows and loves is dead? So, plane shift. The victory celebrations after the win at Coyolos are cut short as the planar overlay begins. Wrath itself manifests on top of Dominaria. The stronghold appears in a volcano in Urborg, Sabo comes crawling to Krovax, and Krovax kills her for her failure. It's on, a, I believe it's the card Diabolic Intent, uh, the original. Yeah, painting, I think so. Where she is just getting drowned and destroyed at the foot of him sitting in his throne. Like, Krovax, what a jackass. What a meanie. Sky Shroud, the elvish forest from Wrath, manifests on Keld which is this icy, cold climate uh, where the Keldons are from. And Freyalise ends up, uh, I think Eladomri makes a bargain with Freyalise in order to save it. And she kind of forces it to work in the area without everything dying because of the way it was manifesting. Basically, everything in Sky Shroud was going to die. So Freyalise saves it, and she ends up becoming the patron of Sky Shroud. She also rips a hole in space-time, but eh. <laughs> it's what yeah it's one of the many time riffs yeah it's a subconscious it, it, she doesn't know what she's doing when that happens but basically she puts a ward around sky shroud that causes the climate to be what it's used to instead of being the frigid cold that it is that's killed well we get four time riffs during the invasion we get a bunch because uh phasing out shiv and and zalfir are riffs as well and then uh the stronghold overlaying um, in Urborg is one of the rifts. So, yeah, we have four rifts created during this single story event. So, Eladomri and the crew that are with him, Lin Sivi and Takara, end up making allies with Keld and a Keldon warlord named Astor in particular. 
if you are familiar with the card Rada, Erdekeld, or uh, Grand Warlord Rada, she is the like great-granddaughter of Astor. So this is the beginning of, of that friendly relationship between Keld and the elves. Or at least less, <laughs> less confrontational. So uh, as they are fighting off the Phyrexians around Keld... The actual, the actual Kelden Twilight that was prophesized in prophecy comes true for real. It's a pretty good prophecy. Like one day in the future, some magical ship is going to fly through the air, and the spirits of the fallen uh, of Kelds fallen heroes are going to return and and fight in a, in a war, and it's going to be great and victorious. And that's how that's what happens, right? It it just all goes according to how the prophecy said it would. Like nothing, there's no weird twists or anything. What do you say, Brian? But but no, N no. <laughs> they're they're dead. Come back and fight on the side of Phyrexians, and the the Keldons are forced to create or to do all sorts of blasphemous things. It's awful. So the Keldon dead that have been building up in their necropolis for centuries or even millennia are all risen to fight on the side of Phyrexia. Uh, <laughs> So the the Keldons, who are these badass warriors, are not prepared for this. And they're quickly routed. And they all, like the surviving forces, end up falling down this ice flow, down this glacier, cracked glacier. Uh, and through this underwater stream that leads them to this magical golden ship underneath Keld called the Golden Argosi. They all board the Golden Argosi, and we, we'll catch up with them again later. The next part is one of my favorite parts of, of this story, because Teversat, remember, still wants to kill everybody on Dominaria and bring silence to the plane. So he goes over to Daragaz and was like, Hey, Daragaz, I know you think you're just like a Shivan dragon, but you're actually a reincarnation of these dragons called the Primevals. There are five of you each of you representing an aspect of the Ur-Dragon. And he brings Daragaz over and says, hey, you can bring your four siblings back and you can once again rule the plane. And so this happens, and, and this is the invasion cycle of dragons. So uh, Daragaz and Dromar and Croesus and Rith and Treva come back to life and, and thinking, oh yeah, we own this plane. So they start attacking both the Phyrexian forces and the coalition forces. Well, it's mainly the weatherlight because they see it as a threat in yeah. the air. Um, so, so they they are just going haywire and big, strong, super ancient, murdery dragons. And Tevasad is like, finally, <laughs> everyone's going to die, just as I've always wanted. This is the card Primeval's glorious rebirth from Dominaria, by the way. But basically, all five dragons did a circle of life, and then the last one was Croesus, and um, he. They all had to, the four other dragons had to sacrifice themselves to bring him back to life, and that's what Glor Primeval's glorious rebirth is. Yep, and then um, they uh, Daragaz eventually realizes like the only way to stop this is to kill himself, so he dives into a volcano and and kind of ends ends that whole he terminates his life debacle. Yeah, so the card, the original card, uh, the original printing of Terminate has that's him diving into the volcano and. Yeah, he's Daragaz is lucky because he's the dragon of of rebirth, so he regenerates every now and then. So he's still alive in in present day Dominar, or I guess alive again, 
whatever. It's a, it's a different version of him, but he could restart the circle if he if given the knowledge about it. He's a good dragon. Like he's a good dragon, one of the few in magic. So the Weatherlight crew gets back together after the Battle of Koilos, and they decide they need powerful warriors in order to help in the fight. So they go to Talrum on Jamura, where Tangarth is from. When they get there, though, they discover it's gone because the mountain range, the mountain range where the Talrum Minotaurs live, was part of Z- the Zalfir section of Dominaria phased out by Teferi. So with Talrum gone, Tangarth is pretty heartbroken. They end up traveling to the home of some other uh, allied Minotaurs called Herloon, which is closer to Benalia, and they rescue the Minotaurs there, uh, who are all going to be subjected to the same kind of mutations that Tangarth was. Uh, and by rescuing them, Tangarth finds acceptance. He thought because he had been turned into this hideous mutant Minotaur that he was basically going to be shunned from Minotaur society. But all these hundreds of Minotaurs he ended up saving rescue him, for, uh, recognize him for the hero he is. He's a good guy. He is a good guy. So with these Herloon Minotaurs, including a uh, fierce general named Grizzlegom, they head to Urborg and the Stronghold, where the new battle for the plane has turned. So Agnate, who is the last remaining uh, Metathran general, is led astray by Dralnu, a necromancer he meets on Urborg, who looks a lot like Thaddeus, his, his brother, who was killed. Dralnu infects Agnate with a flesh-eating virus with the intention of taking over the allied Dominarian forces. I had something like that once. <laughs> yeah? Did did someone want to take over your allied forces? Well, I, I got it from public keyboard, so yeah. Jeez. <laughs> oh, <clears throat> so yeah, it's real easy to catch. Uh, when the Weatherlight arrives, they drop off Grizzlegom. Uh, the Golden Argosi also arrives and drops, drops off the Keldons and Eladomri and all of them. Grizzle Gr- Grizzlegom, God, that's a hard name to say. Yes, it is. Ends up killing Dralnu and taking charge of the Allied forces after Agnate dies, because it was pretty clear what Dralnu was up to. The Weatherlight has been so blinged out at this point, they're able to defeat the Predator. Uh, the Weatherlight at this point has had all sorts of like laser cannons installed, and it's much bigger and faster, and the hull is tougher. Because magic is a fantasy IP. <laughs> all of the <laughs> and because of all the pieces of the legacy that were imprinted on it so as the predator starts to go down urtai teleports aboard and urtai is now mutated by phyrexian science he's got four arms and is hideous and he kidnaps gerard and when he teleports away squee jumps in to try and save gerard because squee is a, a big damn hero let me tell you what uh, and he ends up getting teleported away with urtai Meanwhile, just before that happens, though, Greven Ilvek, the captain of the Predator, uh, is defeated, I think, aboard the Weatherlight. And in one of like the most metal moments in magic, the crew throws Greven's body back aboard the Predator uh, as it goes to crash into the stronghold. 
and they ha- someone has a one-liner that's something like, we'll be seeing you soon. <laughs> a calling card for Krovax. Um, it is a pretty cool moment. But anyway, uh, as this Urborg fight goes on, Multani ends up moving a chunk, a five-mile chunk of Yavamaya and transplants it to Urborg. It ends up creating, at some point in the future... Muldratha. Muldratha, that's right. Who is the spirit of this forested part of Urborg he transplanted over. This forest is full of, like, the Phyrexian woodsmen and the Kavu, and uh, it's kind of a blight on Phyrexia's new realm. So Krovax goes to deal with it himself and gets his butt kicked, and you can see that in a bunch of the artwork. Fervent from... charge. <laughs> yeah. Um, back at the stronghold, Krovax offers Gerard a deal to return Hannah to life, saying that Yagmoth can bring her back from the dead. And to prove it, he kills Squee, but then resurrects the goblin. So... <laughs> Gerard is very tempted to to join and ends up going through a portal on the stronghold to the heart of Phyrexia. Meanwhile, the assault on Phyrexia has gone horribly. Has it, though? Has it? So, so remember the part where I said it seems questionable that Urza would put Teversat on his team of super trooper planeswalkers? Well... His whole plan was uh, he has these devices called soul bombs that he wants to use to uh, he wants to plant them around Frexia and to to wreak havoc on the plane and destroy a whole bunch of it. The problem is uh, they need to be charged by a planeswalker dying. And he has this idea like, look, if we have Teversat on this team, we just kill him. But in a weird moment where Urza thinks he needs to do things ethically, he lets Tevishsat kill Daria and Christina for no reason. The ethics of that, the ethics of that are just like, dude, if you wanted to kill somebody, just, just, just do it and then be like, hey, this is why he was going to kill you guys anyway. So I just saved two plane walkers by killing one instead of letting this guy kill two before you kill him. Makes no sense. Makes no sense. So, so Daria and Christina die for literally no reason because the invasion block just fridges almost every woman in it. Um, and then Urza says, okay, now that Teveshsat has killed two of my other teammates, now I can ethically kill Teveshsat to power my nuclear bombs. <laughs> um, because Urza's psychotic. Because Urza's the worst person. So, uh, the car, the original printing of Pernicious Deed shows Elise with a soul bomb. Uh, so they get, uh, planted all around Frexia. Um, but while they're there... Remember, Urza is an artificer and began his career studying Frexian technology. And while he's on Frexia proper, he starts to get the idea, like, looking around, like, you know, Yagmafly kind of is doing a decent job here. Um, and it's actually, like, pretty impressive, all the artifice he's done. And and I actually, it's like... It's kind of beautiful. I act, yeah, like, I actually respect the work Yogmoth is doing. And before he knows it, he's, like, totally seduced by stupid sexy Yogmoth, who at this point is just, like, <laughs> an avatar who manifests... Like, Frexia is Yogmoth. The card Frexian Arena is just... Is Yogmoth surrounding uh, Urza and Gerard. 
So Urza kills Taser and and starts def- um going to the core of Rexia cuz you know that's that's where his his good buddy Yogmet, you know, the person he vowed to kill thousands of years ago uh is and uh so the other the other planeswalkers uh get the hell out of there because this whole thing is going nowhere. This plane is just falling apart. Everything about it goes wrong cuz Urza's terrible. So all that's left at this point after Taser is killed for daring to uh, speak up at Urza and they learn that it wasn't just Tevzat's uh, Titan engine that they trapped uh, that he that he uh, put in a, a, a kill switch. Uh, they all abandon those Titan engines and decide to complete the mission. But all that's left is Freyalise, Lord Windgrace, Bolivar and Commodore Guff. And so they end up planting their um, planting their soul bombs anyway. Uh, meanwhile, back on Dominaria, Karn has spent some time with the Thran Tome and knows how to save the plane. He's got a plan. And that's where Plane Shift in, uh, leaves off. I would say Karn is a man with a plan, but he's like a robot. So he's like a can with a plan. Wow. Wow. Well played, but jeez. <laughs> <laughs> Our live listeners are saying, boo. Oh, come on. That was fantastic. Oh, it was great. It's still, it's still just wow, though. <laughs> so now we're in it for the grand finale, Apocalypse. So in the stronghold, Krovax discovers that the magic used to resurrect Squee worked a little too well. And Squee won't stay dead. He keeps trying to kill him, but nothing seems to stick. Squee just kind of pops back to life like he's respawning in a video game. Uh, so Krovax ends up giving Squee to Urtai to torture eternally. But Squee gets so delirious from all of the torture and murder that when he eventually is able to get free, he kind of wanders around Urtai's ship and thinks Urtai looks like a bug, because remember, Urtai had four arms and two legs now, and he has so he has a total of six limbs, and Squee goes, oh, that looks like a yummy bug, and basically gnaws his face off like a rabid baboon. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, in uh, on Phyrexia, Urza and Gerard have met in Phyrexia's core. This is where like Yogmoth has is this all-powerful being he creates this arena and Gerard and Urza are forced to fight each other the playing field is leveled a lot of Urza's planeswalker powers are nullified down here and they're both given these soul destroying blades so that if Gerard uh is, cuts something off of Urza he can't just reform it because the piece of his soul uh is gone now meanwhile uh, up above, Guff is killed trying to change fate in, like, the most audience-wink, fourth-wall-breaking way ever. It is very, very controversial among storyline fans. That's because it's dumb! <laughs> he he basically talks about how uh, the creative team wrote the story into, the cor- into a corner, <laughs> because there's no plausible reason at this point that Dominaria could win. And at the urging of the other planeswalkers, Guff is told to uh, rewrite fate or erase what has been dictated and let them write their own fate. So awful. (laughs) 
So Guff does that, but as he's finishing up, he ends up getting killed by this massive Phyrexian blast. Like, like I, I do want to take a moment here, because like you watch a lot of people complain about the Gatewatch killing Ulamog and Kozilek, or, uh, or Bolas getting defeated in War of the Spark, or all manner of things in the modern story. Like, none of that, even if you don't like it, like, none of it compares to the fact that the, like, the entire Weatherlight Saga ends by the editors inserting themselves into a Planeswalker character who just says, hey, there's actually no reasonable way for the heroes to win, so I'm just gonna, like, rewrite reality so that they do. Like, it, this is the worst storytelling thing that appears in any magic story period it is the absolute worst bar none so back at uh the the rest of the planeswalkers plant their bombs and watches like frexia is basically cracked open it's nine nested spheres and so it's just reduced to this hulking rubble except for the core where gerard ends up after a very long protracted battle with urza uh, where Urza is more powerful, but Gerard is more has more ingenuity because Urza has basically his whole life only copied things other people have created or done minor iterative improvements. Gerard is meanwhile a warrior who is very good at thinking on his feet. Gerard beheads Urza with one of these soul weapons. I think it's like an axe or something. And that's where you get the uh, severed head Urza you see at the very end of this whole saga and where Urza Academy headmaster comes from. So Gerard goes back through the portal in back to the stronghold where the battle for Urborg is still raging. Daragaz sacrifices himself by throwing himself into the stronghold's uh, volcano lair. I said um, that part too early. I'm sorry. Oh, did you say that already? Yeah. yeah. Right. I just kind of did the whole dragon thing all in one go. That's fine. That's fine. Karn, meanwhile, guides the Weatherlight in a final transformation, where the Weatherlight actually becomes a thinking being for a short period of time. Gerard in the Stronghold has been upgraded by uh, Yogmoth before Yogmoth realizes that Gerard intends to betray him. So Gerard and Krovax face off, but Gerard is now much more powerful and is able to kill Krovax. He rescues Squee along with Urza's head, who is shooting, I'm not kidding about this, Urza's severed head is shooting laser beams out of his eyes to help clear the path out of the stronghold. Magic is a fantasy IP. <laughs> the allied forces uh, break into the stronghold, led by like Grizzlegom and these dwarves they randomly find uh, out of nowhere in this battle. Everything seems to be going well for the Dominarians, like they might stand a chance. Until... Yogmoth himself manifests on Dominaria. He comes through as this like giant black death cloud uh, that just keeps coming and coming out of the stronghold portal. Uh, Bolivar, who's one of the few surviving titans left, one of the three, sacrifices himself to save this small colony of artists. He realizes that he can't defeat Yogmoth by himself. He's been separated from the others. And he could just planeswalk away, but he knows he couldn't live with himself if he left Dominaria to its fate. So he does what he can, and he saves this colony, uh, which has survived to the modern day in magic. The Weatherlight, in order to try and destroy this giant Yogmoth death cloud, which threatens everything, they try and harness the power of the Null Moon, which we talked about ages ago. 
and is full of white mana that was absorbed from all of Yawgmoth's nukes way, way back in the Thran days. So the Weatherlight basically crashes through it and uses itself as like a prism in order to focus these beams of these rays of white mana to try and destroy the Black Death Cloud of Yawgmoth. But it's not strong enough. So Urza's head talks privately to Gerard and tells him about his final last-ditch plan, the legacy weapon. That the final purpose of the Weatherlight, of Karn, and even of Gerard... And Squeeze Toy. And Squeeze Toy is to, is to create this massive blast that may destroy half the plane, but it'll destroy Phyrexian along with it, and the other half of the plane can survive. They are so desperate, and everyone's about to die from Yagamoth's death cloud, that they go through with it. Uh, Gerard, everyone else clears out as much as they can, and Gerard goes below decks and pulls out Urza's power stone eyes and plants them in, plants them in Karn and activates the weapon. And it just creates this giant wave of light that wipes out all the Phyrexians and manages to save most of the people on the plane. It doesn't actually do what Urza's Ruinous Blast did, which is what everyone was worrying. It just destroyed the Phyrexians like Urza intended or hoped it would do. Uh, and Karn ascends with his uh, with the Planeswalker Spark of Urza, which is fused into him through the Power Stone Eyes that were put into him as part of the legacy weapon. It wasn't Urza's Spark to begin with. It was Glacian's. <sighs> it was... That's debatable. Uh, I like that theory. I like that theory, but it is just a theory. I prefer I prefer the Glacian Spark theory personally for lots of thematic reasons. But the text is pretty ambiguous about whose Spark Urza actually had and whether he had one of his own or not. So Twyfid was hinting at it like in the later half before y'all gets y'all. This is I don't think this is the time to go into this theory. <laughs> That's fine. Whatever. Uh, I I will I will say it's a very poetic ending to Yogmoth and Frexia that uh, the the might and the weak stone, the, the original power stone shards that Yogmoth shoved into and experimented in Glacian in the Thran are also the things that are his undoing. Um, I think of all the storytelling things in this block, I think that's one of my favorite, uh, tying that back to the origins of Frexia and its ending. So, in the aftermath, there's a memorial held on Urborg where the, I think it's called the Tomb of Heroes. Uh, the Heroes Memorial, or the Heroes Podium? Yeah, I don't remember. The Heroes Memorial is, er is erected on Urborg. There's statues to, uh, to Urza and Gerard at the top of it. Uh, after the memorial... Lord Windgrace vows to not let Phyrexia reemerge after this battle. Orim is brought by Karn back to Mercadia, where she can live the rest of her life out with her boo, Chomano. Sisse, Squee, and Tangarth all survived the explosion of the Weatherlight, which crashed and burned and sunk under the sea. And they all get a new ship. Sisse gets a ship called the Victory. Note that it's just a regular ship. It's not a flying skyship. It's just a regular boat. And they leave on a new adventure. I mean, it's probably a really nice boat. <laughs> so 
overall, you know, there's there's a lot of things we couldn't cover with this. Like, there's so much going on. There are multiple side plots that it's hard to track. And a lot of it, in the end, isn't all that important to the overall story. So I really hope you all enjoyed this review or this summary. Does it, does anyone have anything they want to add about the Weatherlight Saga before we close this out? Um, yeah, like we're not, we're not. I know we kept saying we were going to talk about it. Uh, this I I actually I don't like the Weatherlight Saga that much. Um, I think a lot of it's. I mean, there's lots of really good production reasons why the story kind of fell apart over the years. Um, multiple different teams worked on this. Uh, so, like, the original Weatherlight Saga plot was concepted by Mark Rosewater and um, I forget the other guy. Um, and then um, another team ended up actually developing it. And then um, so that was uh, when Pete Benners was still in continuity. And then um, midway through that, a whole other story team took over. And, and that's what happens during Invasion. And uh, it's it gets really messy, um, which is what happens when a story really changes hands with a bunch of people who have really different goals. Like it just does so many things bad. Like so. So we mentioned last week a lot about like the really questionable racial dynamics between uh, light skinned characters and dark skinned characters. Uh, Vuel becomes Volrath and Krovax becomes the other Evancar of Wrath and uh, Tangarth has to deal with a paling of a lot of his skin. He kind of ends, ends up piebald at, at the end but uh, um, and, and the story is like really bad with women most of the time. Uh, Miri dies and Selenia dies and and Christina and Daria get fridged and Hannah di- Hannah literally only dies so that Gerard can be tempted to go to Frexia and that's yikes um, and Rain is Rain is killed mostly so that Baron is angry and kills himself like it's it is catastrophic every time people ask well like like with the recent War of the Spark thing and people are like well why didn't more characters die you should have had more characters die the invasion block is what happens when you have more characters die, and it's terrible storytelling. Um, and and I'm really glad War of the Spark strayed as far away from a lot of the things that the Weatherlight Saga did as possible. It is very old story that just reeks of late '90s, early aughts. We're selling our game to 14 year old boyness. It's yeah. <laughs> uh. yeah. I, I should mention, I don't think I actually mentioned that Eladamri, Linsivi, and Takara, I believe, all die as well. Brian, is that correct? Um, yeah. Not in well, your heart, but in the text. So, they, they, they see Yogmoth's death cloud approaching, and they they say, instead of letting Yogmoth get the honor of killing them, they jump from a high tree into a bunch of fire beneath the tree we don't actually see them die we don't hear their we don't see that they that they actually died or impacted the ground so i'm still holding out hope that (laughs) uh became a planeswalker even though there are plenty of other chances where he could have sparked like when his daughter was killed or when he killed belby or any number of things but hey this is what i'm going with he's still alive in my heart and so we, when we returned to Dominaria in the set Dominaria, it was Joyra who was returned during the uh, mending. She pulls the weatherlight out, rebuilds it. We see that Sisse's great, 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 you know, descendant, uh, Shauna, joins the crew. 
uh, Squee is still alive and chilling on Dominario. Obviously, he can't die. Yeah, he's great. He's great. I can't wait till we see him again in the story, because I'm sure it's just going to be fantastic. Uh, but yeah, that's the Weatherlight Saga. As problematic and nostalgic as it is for people... You know, it's hard to talk about the Weatherlight Saga because so many people who were playing around that time were young. It was like, it is what magic was for them. And so it was really iconic. Even if they didn't know really know anything about the story, the story was all over the cards. So they were familiar with all of the characters and have attachments to them. The stories themselves are not badly, like... I enjoyed reading the invasion cycle, even with the problematic elements. Yeah, it's it's a it was basically dominated four years of magic storytelling, pretty similar to uh, the origins through War of the Spark, the Bolas arc. Um, it's a it's a pretty similar time frame, similar uh, returning recurring cast of characters. It's it is what it is. There there's there's lots of good parts. There's like like I, I really the one thing I do love about Invasion is they made a lot of effort to bring a lot of the older planeswalkers in. So we we had not seen Tevisa or Taser or Freilis um or Christina since the Armada comics. We hadn't seen Windgrace since uh Tapestries and Distant Plains, the two Harper Prism anthologies. So like it it was cool to see um see a lot of those old characters brought back and uh there's there's neat stuff a lot of magic conventions were started here obviously the history of dominaria as a plane has so much tied up in the story um people love the slivers which came out of all this um it's it's cool it's 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 a it's a part of magic's history that has undeniably impacted the future of the game um problematic parts and all and uh that's that's largely why we dedicated three whole weeks to covering it and 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 honestly this feels like this is kind of our last thoughts um i, I don't think we need more this week was i alive during this were you alive when when were you born ashley was i born yet was, was i born yet you're like 23 right I was born. yeah you were um yeah i was born in 95 yes yeah, so yes you were you were a child um so so tempest so so weather like the set came out i believe in 97 um i was a baby yeah you were a baby you're, you're old a boy I, I mean i was also in elementary school when the story started too so it's not not that that i i was definitely this was one of my these these books were a big part of um my early love for um fantasy slash sci-fi if you want to go where Lord Lai wants you to go it's um, absolutely slash sci-fi um <laughs> also it, it's um it, it's also what helped me keep my interest in the game even in the periods where like there was a period of time in college where i quit playing magic i would still buy the fat packs in the books or if not the fat packs the individual books just to keep you know because I, I i like the story and the invasion block was where I got my beginning. So I've, I've always had this huge fascination with um, the magic story and Eladomri was a big part of it. He's, we didn't really go a lot into it with the story because like, realistically he was a big, he was a side part of the story. Um, but he was a big part to me and he was really, he always seemed like a really cool character to me. So. Oh wait, you like Eladomri? No, <laughs> we never have guessed. All right, so uh, so that's 
that's the one I like saga. This is our our big in depth deep dive into uh, Magic Story Pass that uh, fans and, and listeners have been asking for us to do for a while. And uh, we, we appreciate all our listeners, and we especially appreciate the folks who head over to patreon.com slash thevorthoscast and support us on uh, on Patreon over there. Uh, everyone who, who supports the show gets access to our Discord community, where we have Orthoses from around the world discussing all kinds of things. Uh, currently, the new exciting Commander 2019 previews, and very shortly Throne of Eldraine. We've got a new novel coming out soon. We still have the Gathering Storm stories, chronicling the narrative from Guilds of Ravnica and Ravnica Allegiance. They are fantastic. Um, there's so many exciting Vorthos things happening, and uh, if you wanted a place for a lot of other Vorthos superfans to talk with about all those kinds of things, uh, consider heading, o- heading over to Patreon. It's a minimum donation is $1 a month, gets you access to that community and, and helps keep the show running. So we, we really appreciate everyone who helps us out there. Thank you all for listening. This has been the Vorthos Cast.